This is Japan Baseball Weekly, the only English podcast covering all 12 NPB teams. And now, your hosts, John E. Gibson and Jim Allen. Hi, and welcome to the Japan Baseball Weekly Podcast. It's for the week of August 2nd. I'm John Gibson, and with me, after an unscheduled week off, <laughs> we're back with you, and it's a Sunday morning, is Jim Allen. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yourself? Ooh, that was a lot to get out there in an in opening, but I'm doing all right. I'm doing all yeah, right. Yeah, I figured you might be tired from that. Not like the Olympics aren't tiring enough for us. <laughs> no, not tired. I got up real early, went out and had a nice run. And, uh, you know, I love this time of year. So this is this is my time, man. I, I, I actually love it. I don't see why all these European athletes are falling over on the tennis court where they do a lot less running than the soccer players. But hey, man, if you don't like the heat and you're not used to it, then uh, it's going to zap your strength. So, uh, but I like it. <laughs> you, you like these sunny and mild days that are ideal for competition, huh? Uh, that that's what we were promised, right? Sunny yeah, and mild. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's like when like Qatar said they were going to host the World Cup in the middle of the uh, Arabian summer and say, yeah, we're the weather's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> like they've got some weather control stuff. That's good. I was going to say, if you can deliver on your weather weather promises, we won't call you a fair weather uh, <laughs> friend or whatever. Yeah, all good. Yeah, fair weather. You would be a fair weather friend because you can bring the fair weather, I suppose. <laughs> yes, you can. All right. Well, folks, I won't even bother saying mask up and hunker down because the numbers in Tokyo have been astronomical. So just run for your lives. <laughs> That's all. Yeah, you That's see somebody not wearing a mask, and there's a, a lot of people are tired of it. But, you know, this is, gonna, this is a long haul. Uh, <laughs> you may be tired of it now, but you're going to wish – you might wish you had a mask on, you know, now, you know, three months from now. You might be going, damn, I wish I had a mask on and I hadn't caught COVID. Yeah, well, you know, I was talking about it with somebody at the office, and it was, when this whole mask-oriented uh, society started because of COVID, I said, how long do you think this could last? Could it be five years from now? Uh, depending on, like I said, we have the answers to the test in, in some respects, but you know, my biggest thing is is people spreading it amongst themselves and um, just the you know lack of being able to uh, get away from the crowded trains, the crowded spaces, and and people want to go back to their lives. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> we all want to go back to our lives, but we you got to have one first. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what I'm I'm aspiring to. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let's get the baseball on this week's show. We've got former NPB star Jose Fernandez as the guest. We'll talk about. Uh, new additions to some teams. We'll talk about uh, players uh, taking some breaks or what the players are doing during the breaks during the All-Star and Olympic break here. We'll talk about Roki Sasaki throwing and we'll handle some high heat. So let's start swinging. Clearing the bases! All right, so uh, let's see. When was this? This was back in May. I caught up with Jose Fernandez. Uh, just before the NBA playoffs started, and you'll understand why I added that uh, little note about the NBA once you hear the chat. And I wanted to interview him and get him on record for a rainy day, and uh, it is raining em emptiness in the MPB world at the moment. Now, not necessarily because the teams are playing. I know they're having to practice games. Uh, a lot of the Samurai Japan guys are playing uh, 
in the Olympics, not every day. So we don't get to see them as much as we would actually like, but uh, the tournament's going on. Um, but I'm glad to bring you this interview uh, with Jose because it, it, we just haven't had the games. It just hasn't been the same. And, and I know Jim is bogged down with the Olympic stuff. I'm bogged down with the Olympic stuff. Hardly have time to look at anything else. Uh, but uh, the games are, these practice games are going on. And uh, Jose was kind enough to sit down with me. Now, he started his career in Japan with Chiba in 2003. Then he went to Cebu for a couple of years, then Rakuten for three years, back to Oryx in 2009 for a season, back to Cebu for two seasons, and then the Oryx for a third time in 2020, uh, 2013. And uh, what a great career he had. He's uh, one of the guys who holds a record for number of teams for which he played here in NPV. And uh, it's a really fun time uh, for he and I to sit down and talk about his time here. And I asked him some interesting questions. I think I caught him off guard a couple times, but uh, let's take a listen to Jose Fernandez. All right, joining us this week is Jose Fernandez, my buddy, my friend. How you doing, man? It's good to hear your voice. Hey, my man. Thank you for having me. Say hi to everyone down in Japan. Thank you for having me the program. Oh, our pleasure, our pleasure. So uh, how do you look back at your career in Japan playing for so many teams? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my one of my greatest experiences in life, actually. Um, it's a mind-opening. It's now that you can look back. You, you're back in, uh, here in the uh, Dominican, in the U.S., and you can look back and spend... Uh, all those memories and, and share them with the kids and the family, families and friends. It's, it's, you know, it's a great experience. Uh, great time. Uh, learned so much. It's, it's, um, it was a wonderful time. You played for the Lotte Marines, then you went to Cebu, then you went to the Rock 10 Eagles, then the Oryx Buffaloes, and then the, the cycle started. You went back to the Lions then back to the Eagles, and then back to Oryx. So playing for so many teams like that, what was it like when you left the team and then came back to the same team again? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was unique. Um, I heard a lot of experience. Every year was different. Um, but just like just like I used to tell my agent all the time, it's like well, I, I, you know, I used to take one year at a time. Um, you know, Japan was... And people in Japan was so great, and you—they make you feel comfortable. They make you feel at home all the time. Even when you play against some teams, and there was some kind of rivalry that you are playing against those guys. You know, when you were in the the different uniform, you see them as an opponent. But in Japan, they make you feel welcome, no matter what. Fans make you feel great. So it was a different experience, obviously, because you heard a lot of stories that not many players have switched teams that many teams mm. but you know the teams being in the same league that makes also the help because we, you 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 know you play with those guys so many times and you kind of build a friendship with a lot of those players and i guess i was doing something right that those teams keep wanting me back so that was <laughs> that, that, that was a good that, that, it was it wasn't a hard adjustment at all because you know you you embrace the the culture you embrace the people and then to make this transition is actually uh it, it makes it a little easier all right well you had like i said all these teams what was the strangest experience you can tell us about uh having during your playing days in mpv Oof. um 
I'm the strangest one. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, it, it, usually for for newcomers all the time, obviously, the the, the changes of culture with um, learning the game. You know, there's so many different rules. Like, you know, you play 12 innings, you you end up a tie. Um, you know, there's there's there were different things that it's overwhelming for a lot of people that comes. I have experience to be in Korea, so I have a little sense of what the feelings was in in Asia. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, it was different. It's it's it, it, the culture itself, the people itself. Obviously, learning the, the the food, learning to understand, um, you know, this how the system works, um, the the discipline, how this, you know, how 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 they work. You know, a lot of people you heard a lot about it, and no matter how much you talk to, to, to older people and people that have been in the league and older people that have been around, they try to explain you how different it is, but you need to experience it. And, uh, you know, I came with an open-minded when I came to Japan for the first time. Mm-hmm. And every time I moved teams, it was with an open-minded understanding and accepting the differences in each one. And I think that makes things a little easier and smoother for me. But, um, you know, I can't, I'm sure that, I got to look back and think about so many different things, but after all, overall, overall, that you know, overwhelming most likely would be the changes of the games and all that uh, that you experience day in day out in Japan, really. Okay, now you played for a lot of managers as well. What manager uh, that you played under, or opposing manager, anybody who left the biggest impression on you? Oof. <laughs> Uh, each one was unique. Uh, I got to tell you that, my man. Each one was unique. I, I love playing for Yamamoto, uh, my first manager in Japan. Um, very, very uh, uh, intense guy. He likes to compete. He was a, a guy who wanted to to push you, to try to get the best. I remember him maybe because of my first manager. Um, I love, love, you know, I love playing for him. Um, also, I remember playing for, uh, you know, Mr. Nomura-san um, because a lot of people, maybe because what I was, uh, my backgrounds and my career, but I was able to, to you know, uh, to free from his mind and understanding and, 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 and see where he's coming from. A lot of people, maybe uh, because of the culture and the respect about no more. They didn't have a chance to learn, understand, and, and get to know him as much as I did. No more, and I were able to sit down in dinner and talk about baseball. He loved he loved Western House baseball. He loved uh, talk about baseball. And a lot of people who got to know him, even though I didn't speak as much Japanese, I could, I was able to understand. And through a translator, we were able to communicate with a lot of you know a lot of baseball, a very good baseball mind. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows how how you know how savvy and and and, and uh, how smart Mr. Nomura was, especially in baseball. Wise. So so I was able to he he makes an impression on me because I learned a lot from it. Um, I love playing for Watanabe. Mr. Watanabe also um, was a guy who played in Taiwan. Has a different mind. Was more of a most was most understanding with foreigners and was very uh, also more patient it has a different look for the game so by the time i came back and play with it with seigu with the watanabe obviously i was a little more veteran player mm-hmm. but it was you know a lot of respect for 
for for him because the way he handled the players, I think it was, you know, his state of the art. Um, you know, those are guys that I can mention. But each one of them has a unique. He was a unique manager, a unique person with a lot of experiences, and you obviously learn a lot from each one of those. Yep, yep, yep. All right, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, uh, Nomura because uh, he was a manager when Masahiro, a young Masahiro Tanaka, uh, was coming up as a young pitcher. And I recall you and I talking on the field at, at Seibu Dome, I think it was, and uh, you talking about the fact that, yeah, well, uh, Tanaka doesn't come out of games and they're they're grooming him to be uh, an ace. And uh, he was <laughs> basically untouchable. I think you remember I remember you saying about uh, taking him out of games when he got into trouble in the sixth or seventh innings. And uh, what did you see in Tanaka as as a young pitcher uh, when you were playing? Well, Matsu was a very, very nice kid. Um, um, I'm sure he's, you know, he's a grown too, with a lot of experience now. But when I played when he was just a kid, 18 years old, you said it, just coming out of high school. Um, great arm, great competitor. Um, I think that's 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 his number one skill that a lot of people don't see. Tanaka was a competitor and he wanted to win, and I think that's that separate him from everybody else. That's why he didn't want to come out. That's why he wanted to win. There is obviously the fact of respect and 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 in the game that Japanese. This is uniqueness in Japanese, but um, but I, if I have to if I have to go back to to define. Uh, uh, you know Tanaka Makuno on, on on what kind of person he is more than great 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 person, uh, but uh, he's a competitiveness. And when he was in the mound, you know he was in control of the game, and he knew it. And he knew that obviously he had all the talents and all the skills. But uh, it, it was fun to watch him play. It was he was fun, very fun playing with him, and he was even more fun playing against him really, because I love I love. He's hard. I love his competitiveness, and and that's what you play the game for. And I think, um, you know, his career has has obviously um, expressed and showed that because he he's done he's done really well for himself. Uh, he could be pitching here in the big league still if he wanted. If he wouldn't wanted to, I'm pretty sure he does. And, and but that's that's basically how I'll describe him: a great competitor, competitor even from day one get go when he arrived into Rakuten. Okay. Now, there have been a, a lot of really good Japanese pitchers and players probably the past 15 years who have gone over to the States, or some of them who haven't gone over to the States, like Hayato Sakamoto of the Giants. But um, who who do you think has been like the best of these Japanese players uh, the past 15 years? Well, yeah, obviously, yeah, you, you exclude me, Ichiro. Um, no, I, you know, he, he's in there. I think the past 15 years, I, I think he was, you know, at the height of his powers. Yeah. yeah so. Ichiro, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, I don't even know how, obviously, Ichiro is the, is the uh, obvious answer to that question because being a Japanese, you know, he's, he's, he's falling to the one of the best players in the history of Major League Baseball, not necessarily Japanese player. I mean, he's in the history of Major League. I mean, the tools and the skills and the way to hit a beach, you know, you know, not many guys. I mean, then you have Matsui, obviously, who put up great numbers for so many years. And then you have, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a position player, so I love to talk about position players because being a hitter, I don't like to be credit to pitchers. But, <laughs> 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 but you 
know how it is. It's it's big Ray. You got Darvis. You got Masahiro. I mean, uh, I I got to play before I even got to to go to Japan. Um, I, I I played in a, with the Anaheim Angels in the big leagues with Hasegawa, great guy, you know, competitor too. Um, so so there's there's been a lot of great guys, great players, but obviously Ichiro and Matsui have the best career and. And talent-wise, obviously, each year it's ahead of everybody else. Even even when you're talking about great play, you even have to mention, even with uh, including the from any part of the world. Yeah, what do you think about Shohei Otani? Ah, uh, <laughs> I, I had this argument with a couple of my friends. Uh, you know, everybody's everybody called me. It's funny because after being back from Japan, uh, everybody called me Japanese. Obviously, being you know, I've been in Japan for. You know, twelve years and and plays and so long over there. Yeah, you're not the only was, one, man. <laughs> I get I, the, I get it too. I, I yeah, find <laughs> in, I find myself I find myself in Japan more than even the Dominican. A lot of people just, you know, some of my friends get mad at me. Ah, here you go again, Japan again. And I say, man, it's the best. What, what do you want me to do? It's the best food. What, what can I say? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but um, um, yeah, it, it, it's 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 funny because. Uh, you find yourself, you know, finding this argument all the time, and um, and and it is just the culture and fact and all that. So, it, it, yeah. All right. Well, what do you what do you think about him? Uh, Otani. Well, it's it's the uh, I say he was one of the best. It's the best play in the big leagues right now. Here's here's the argument I have with somebody. They say, well, my Trout and Tatis Jr. and Soto and everything. Well, here's here's the difference. Otani. Can throw a hundred miles per hour fastball pitchers pitch you know pitch like no one in the you know like any aces in the big leagues and he home runs like anybody who else can do that nobody so if yeah. you were if you're gonna go with numbers like war and all that then Otani you know past everyone goes over everybody and that is why you know us as a player you. Obviously, you know how how hard it's to hit a baseball, and not even easy to throw 100 miles per hour and locate the way he locates. So to me, his his has to be the elite player. He has to be number. If I had to pick a start a team with, and I and, and he's available, I'm gonna pick him over everybody else because he's gonna be my second, my third hitter. He's gonna hit 25 home run. He's probably gonna hit close to 300 and 80 RBIs. Anybody can take that. And then you got a guy who can win 15 games. I mean, you got two for the price of one. I mean, you can obviously, uh, Mike Trout, um, you know, your boy from the Dodgers, Mookie Betts, and all those guys, those are wonderful players. But you got a young kid who can pitch and who can hit the way he hit. I think Otani is right now the best player in the major league. All right, all right. One last question, because when I, when I would meet you at Saber Dome or at any field, actually, and, we, you, you... And, and, and let me say this because oh, I know okay. a lot of people are gonna. I, I, let me say this: I, I know a lot of people are gonna say, "Are you out of your mind? Are you crazy?" Because you know you're talking about Mike Trout, you're talking about Mookie Betts, you're talking about Fernando Tatis, Ascuna Junior. Those guys are wonderful and great players. But when you take the value of Otani, I mean, it's hard to argue that. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> you got no argument from me. Uh, yeah. I'm with you. All right. So you, whenever I would meet you at the ballpark, we would talk about NBA. We talk about NFL. We talk about M, uh, Major League Baseball. So who do you predict is going to win the World Series this year, and who do you have in the NBA? Oof. <laughs> ah, you so think I'm gonna let NBA, you get away without asking you? In NBA, obviously, 
I, I want to see the finals. I don't. People keep talking about to me about the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers. Are, I'm sorry. I know you. The, the you love those guys, but the LA. It's the. I, I think they're gonna. They're gonna have to put everything together in order for them to to even you know go deep into the playoff if they end up going right. to the playoff. Right? All right. Well, who you got? But, <laughs> I got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, Brooklyn Nets. Okay. I'm gonna go with Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, I think Nets has it. If the Big Bird guy comes back and he's healthy, and and they put it together, they should be able to, you know, to run for the money, especially against Philadelphia, who they having a great season too. So it's gonna be fun. All right. It's gonna be fun to watch. But, but I got I got the Nets going in. Uh or series. Woof. Uh uh, if I got to pick, I know this is a tough one because the L.A. Dodgers, they won the last year. Um, you know, they had a taste for it. They finally got that little big monkey off their back. Uh, Boston is coming back again. So, it, it's you know, it's real tough with the long season we faced with so long. But if I got to pick two teams, uh, I, I got to pick Boston and Dodgers for the worst series because and winning probably the Dodgers. They, they, they loaded. So... And, and, you know, last year was the year that they, they finally got the monkey on their back. They had a taste for it. It's not easy to repeat in a, in a worse series, but they have what it takes, really. Yeah. All right, buddy. And you got what it takes, too. We appreciate the time. Take care of yourself and stay safe. <laughs> it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I, I want to uh, thank you for the opportunity. I want to say thank you to all the fans, uh, all the baseball fans in Japan and all, all around the world that, listen to your programs and and uh, thank you for having me there it's always a pleasure my man i'm happy that you and your family and everybody is doing well blessing to you and all your families and everyone in japan all right man take care of yourself thank you Josh. all right all right well uh that was fun he really didn't answer the question about the strangest thing and i love what he had to say about masahiro tanaka but what stuck with you after you listened to this oh well it's always you know a blast from the past because he's one of those guys who just really enjoys uh, sharing his insight, and he's got that, that he's got that constant energy buzz, you know. Yeah. Where things, it's like whatever we're talking about, it's important, you know. Even, and I, and I don't mean that in a false way, but he's just, you know, he's he's excited to that that whole communication, talking with people, sharing ideas being you know uh, making the most of the situation even if it's just chatting in the dugout before the game uh he just makes the most of everything so it's always a joy yep yep, yep, and, yep. Uh, a couple of a couple of things stuck out and the first is uh talking about the managers because you know when you come to japan the first time people look at japanese baseball and they say oh you know all the teams are the same all the managers are the same all the players are the same <laughs> and and then when you say no, they're not. This is well, I know because one of my best friends is a, you know, Japanese baseball player or something, and they're all the same. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, so once you get over that kind of racist stereotype thing, you get into his comment, which is they're all different, and I am absolutely want to point this out. All the managers are different. They all act a little differently. They've all got different backgrounds, and I think he hit on that really well. And I'm very glad that he mentioned uh, Koji Yamamoto, his first manager, because um, I should say the late Koji Yamamoto, he died a few years ago. And it was really sad because he was a real gentle guy. He's one of the, the 
he and, and Sadaharu O were two of the managers who were very kind to me when I started mm-hmm. and were very patient with my stuttering, uh, uh, lame ass Japanese. <laughs> and so, and explained things to me. Masataka Nashita was another of those guys. So I enjoyed that. And his insight with, uh, with Katsuya Nomura was also great. Okay. After, after the managers, I have to say, you know, talking about, uh, his experience with the teams and going back and forth and how it's different and how it's the same is kind of fun. But Masahiro Tanaka, uh, being the competitor. Right. And almost as soon as he said that I could hear the, a little red light went off and it said scout talk because Jose is now a scout for the Cebu lions. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he says, you know, he's a competitor and it sets him apart. And I think that's really true because when he was here in Japan, uh, his teammates all said, you know, he throws hard, but he's, he has an extra gear. And when he gets in trouble, he's got, you know, he picks it up and he blows people away mm-hmm. if he needs to. But they didn't really talk about that side that Jose mentioned. And I, I'm so glad he did. Yeah, I, I like to talk about Tanaka. And remember, uh, I, I think I told you the day after I talked to Jose about Tanaka, I think you were one of the first people I spoke with about the fact that he said, hey, Tanaka's not going to come out of games. You know, I think I said that to you. I, I said, I don't see him coming out of games. And uh, Jose told me that, you know, they, they, they want him to be an ace and he's untouchable and blah, blah, blah. And um I think I, I remember telling you, but I don't think you, you took it that I don't think you took it that well, seriously. But as we go back and see now that you know he still doesn't come out of games mid inning, so something catastrophic well, I, is going to have to happen. Yeah. When you mentioned it, I thought, well, there's two two things to that. One is the reason he doesn't come out of games is uh, because, of course, one was the idea. I guess that was Katsuya Nomura's uh, pitcher development plan. But right. the other one, eventually, he didn't come out of games because he was so gosh darn effective over his entire career with runners on base. Mm. I mean, he just, when he had runners on base, I think his career in Japan, the batters had like a, zero, a .080 batting average. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, part of it is, I think what, what, uh, Jose was getting around to and what I've always talked about is having to perform when you're not in tip top shape condition or status. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, part of that is, uh, as I know, in, as in, you know, running endurance races is running when you're tired. Uh, how do you keep your form so that you don't injure yourself? How do you stay within your uh, parameters so that you can do what you're effective at doing, but mm. um, not overexert yourself. And, mm. uh, and so, yeah, it's important to be able to, to do that. And that's, that's, I don't know if it's so much a skill that's learned, but it is something that's developed because you, it does take trial and error. And I think that's important. I, you, you, I know you jokingly said the development plan from Nomura, but I, I think that it's part of it is, okay, now you're tired, you have a little fatigue uh, you feel a little bit different than you did at the start of the game. How do you remain effective? How do you do? How do you work the mental side to get the outs that you need to get to get out of trouble? And um, yeah, that that's something that you you can only learn. It's it's trial and error, right? You you learn by doing it. You can't you can't talk your way through that. <laughs> 
No, and I wasn't joking about the development thing. Oh, okay. No, I, yes, no, I wasn't I sure. Had that history of of working with young pitchers and well, more often than not, burning them out, but getting good results in the process. But no, I, I think what you said is so important, and it's easy to overlook because we we look at the, you know, we look at average stats mm -hmm. measures. You know, like how many barrels, how many times does this guy get? the good exit velocity and good launch angle on balls off his bat and, you know, his average sprint speed and how does this guy do over the course of a season. But a real critical element is being able to uh, avoid injury and to be able to be consistent at a, you know, at a, at a high level over right. the course of a season. And when you were saying that, I, my mind was flashing back to the the conversation I had with Masahiro Tanaka in 2018. And it just comes, it sounds like something he would say. Because mm -hmm. he, he, he gives that vibe of being really aware of a lot of the finer points. And he, he gives, and what Jose said about him being a battler and a, and a competitor, it comes out in the things he says because... When he talks about his games, you know, he's really tuned into uh, A, you know, executing as well as possible, but also B, what went wrong when I did execute, what should have gone better, you know, what I needed mm -hmm. to execute better. You just get that whole thing that he's completely tuned into what did I need to do to win, even, you know, if he pitched really well and, and got, you know, and lost, which we've seen quite a bit this year yep. he's tuned into the what could i have done better sure sure and that, those those parts of the game are important uh, always self-evaluate always look back and reflect and that's why i tell everybody about close games when you lose a close game you don't at least i didn't i didn't worry about what happened on the last play because that didn't really determine the game that was just the last play of the game in a, in a game of yahtzee it could have been any of the game the, the plays that happened in the game ended up being the last one but what could i have done better what hmm. could i have done to change the outcome along the way so um yeah sure those things are important for me um and, and i'm going to be really quick because this was kind of a long interview interview but jose was one of the the, the players we've talked about on the show, I think we've discussed a few of them who would talk to us before games. Uh, mm -hmm. He didn't seek refuge in the locker room. He would shoot the breeze with reporters such as the late and great Wayne Grosick and Rob Small and you and Jason and Jason Cosgrave of the Japan Times and me and um, a really down-to-earth person who just went out and tried to get the job done. And um, Obviously, I asked him about his picks in the NBA, and he missed on the New Jersey Nets by about a centimeter because uh, that was how much over the line Kevin Durant's uh, toe was when he hit a late three-point shot in overtime. And um, that got the Nets bounced out of the playoffs, but uh, obviously that wasn't the reason. But, I mean, that's how much they lost by. Um, and uh, he still might get the Dodgers and the Red Sox correct, so we'll we'll, we'll keep him on the on the books on that one. But um, you heard him say it. I, I think you know when you talk about a guy who goes back and forth between one organization and another and places that he's already been, they don't bring you back because it's about the baseball and about the numbers. It's obviously about character, the integrity, the professionalism, the culture that you help develop, and other intangibles. 
And I think Jose brings all that stuff. And that's why you get to go back. I mean, can you imagine leaving a team, having the team tell you, well, we don't think you're good enough that we want to keep you. And then, but then that team brings you back. (laughs) And that happens so many times with him that, again, for me, it just is not about the numbers with this guy. All of it is about how he helped create uh, and how he helped just maybe calm, like the culture. He helped create a culture in your locker room. Uh, sure. Whether it's just being calm and all that stuff and, and figuring out how to uh, go about getting your job done every day. Sure. I think of uh, I think of him and I think of another guy who had a similar profile to his career in Japan, Fernando Seganol, mm-hmm. as these two guys who are just like always in demand. You know, it's like if he wasn't playing for somebody, teams are going, I wonder if he'd play for us. And then yeah. when they're finished, I wonder if he'd scout for us. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Jose, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the time. And, uh, the, you know, the, the rainy day came. So uh, it's, yeah, thanks, it's now Jim, Jim's on the clock for getting us a, a rainy day interview. So you're on the clock, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Stop chuckling. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Making a four-seam transition, uh, it's time to talk about the Samurai Japan uh, team that's playing at the Olympics. And um, before we actually get into the games, I'd like to give my early impressions of the baseball tournament at the Olympics. And I, I just say that because I always thought that uh, probably about 20, 30 years ago, um, at least up until the past Premier, Premier 12 tournament, I always figured like the teams to beat were were basically Cuba because they always they always brought a bunch of really good players. And obviously the U.S. team was always good. And they just seem to be the powers and the other countries were going to have to, you know, scramble and do a lot of things right to get to the top. And now I see Japan as like the new Cuba. Like, I think all, a lot of teams are coming in. A lot of teams are expecting Japan to, to be really tough to beat. And and it's really true. They, I think if you look at all the teams that are at the Olympics right now, the, the Japan team has most of its biggest stars. And... Um, Obviously, there are still a few. You know, you don't have old Shohei Otani, <laughs> who's on a major league roster, and you don't have uh, Kenta Maeda and some other guys who are playing in the States. But uh, of the guys who are playing in Japan right now, the biggest stars are here, including Tanaka. So um, I, I, I see Japan as the new Cuba. And definitely, I think uh, Japan has overtaken South Korea, the United States, which is always a mishmash of players, right? We've got some older players, they've got some younger players, but uh, I just look at the, you know, I mean, you look at the rosters and up and down at the teams and you're thinking, who's going to beat Japan? There's really not a team that's uh, really built to beat Japan head up. They're just going to have to go out there that day and have every, uh, not everything, but have a lot of things go right and really pitch well to beat Japan. So that, that was my perception, but I, I, I think that that conversely puts a lot of pressure on the Samurai Japan group and, I, I do love the young players. I think I talked about that when when, when the roster came out. Uh, I love the ro- young players uh, they they picked for the team, and I think they really responded in the second game, which we'll get to here. But really good stuff, really good stuff that I'm seeing from that team. I I've, I it's interesting because well, I was watching you know the Japan national team before they called them Samurai Japan. That name mm-hmm. came from uh, 2009. World Baseball Classic, and they were gold medal favorites in 2000 in Sydney, and they were gold medal favorites in Athens in 2004, and they were gold medal favorites in 2008 in Beijing. And from that, they got one bronze medal. 
<laughs> they got one bronze medal the year that the South Koreans failed to qualify for because <laughs> Taiwan knocked them out in the uh, 2008 then, right? Yeah, in 2004. Uh, Taiwan knocked uh, South Korea out of the Asian Championships in the in the winter of 2003 in Sapporo. So Japan has lost a bronze medal game to South Korea in 2000. They lost a semifinal to South Korea in 2008. They played pretty mediocre baseball in the Olympics. The, the pressure to play in the Olympics in Japan in Japanese baseball and be the gold medal favorites mm-hmm. in, you know, in, in what is really Japan's sport, probably in Olympic sports, perhaps next to judo. Yeah. Women's wrestling, close second to judo. Yeah. Uh, is just incredible. And these guys, they're pros. Most of the, the Koreans send their best pro teams and the Koreans have another uh, chip. You know, they have an extra pressure chip, which is if the guys win a, a big medal, they get let off. The young guys get let off their compulsory military service. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. So South Korea is always hard for Japan to beat. I think uh, South Korea is going to be a player in this, although they, they did not make the first uh, quarterfinal. So, but it's been interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And in, in people look at Japan as being the next Cuba, but pretty much they've done nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is always the thing that Japan had going into that. And when the game started, I thought, wow, it's Japan all over again, playing like Japan underperforming in the Olympics. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I... I... Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, especially playing at home. So even yeah, even during the Premier Twelve, we saw that most of the guys were cracking. And the last Premier Twelve, there was one guy who basically from the start said, "Come on, we're you know we're just playing baseball. You know, have fun." That was Seiya Suzuki, who was the mm-hmm. tournament MVP, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's maybe the one guy I expected to be the star of this tournament because of that. But he's got some competition. Yeah, a lot, a lot. So uh, let's get into the game. So uh, Japan won 4-3 on Wednesday over the Dominican Republic and had to come back in the game late. They were down 3-1 and came back to do that. So I I, I actually could hear the groans in my office on Wednesday <laughs> as I was tweeting about the fact that you're taking Yoshinobu Yamamoto out of the game after six really sharp innings. Hmm, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he threw, uh, he only allowed two hits, a walk, he hit a batter, but he had nine strikeouts on 88 pitches. And I was really happy and thrilled to see that he was pitching so well on the on the stage like that. And um, Atsunori Inaba, the, the Japan manager, uh, brings in Koyo Aoyagi of the Tigers, and he promptly gave up two hits and a walk, eventually uh, a two-out double. Um, that put the samurai guys in a, in an early hole and then Juan Francisco <laughs> and I loved your tweet. Uh, I loved your tweet on the Juan Francisco, former giant. Uh, he got a hit and, uh, and what did you say about it? If you remember well, Juan Francisco finally got a hit in Japan. <laughs> he, had, he had a, he had a, a kind of disaster calamity filled stay in Japan. <laughs> Yeah, that was just plagued by. You know. I mean, it was like it was like bad play, um, 
everything everything about his stint in Japan, one of my editors cut out the disastrous part. Yeah. <laughs> he, said he, had a, he had a brief disastrous stint in Japan and it became his brief tenure. Yeah, yeah. I just remember, you know, whenever he did make contact hard, it was, it was an out and he'd scuff a ball here and there for a hit. Uh, maybe a single here and there, but famous yeah, for a bad yeah. base running play and a couple yeah. of games in here. I think he had two days in a row where he was a central figure in uh, some. I think he was a, uh, a central figure in two calamitous losses in Hiroshima that summer, two days in a row, and that was pretty much the end of his stay in Japan. Yeah, yeah, but I found it interesting that the Dominican Republic tried to button play a little bit of small ball against Japan, but eventually uh, DR took a 3-1 lead into the ninth inning, but uh, Yuki Yanagita gets a, an infield single because of some squirrely defense, I guess you could call it that. <laughs> and then uh, it's what a luxury to have Kensuke Kondo come off your bench and, and bat for you. So he gets a pinch hit single, and Munetake Murakami, you know, in an RBI situation, he gets a hit. Then you've got Tetsu. I mean, listen to these like these names of guys who might be in the Hall of Fame one day in NPB. In, in you know, Yanagita, Tetsuto Yamada, and Hayato Sakamoto each get hits, and the game's over, and it's not even close in the ninth inning. It's like, what did you? What were you guys waiting for? Now, I I, I did like everything uh, Inaba did in terms of the offense when he had opportunities to. Um, make plays or, or make a decision. I don't like the way he used the pitching, but I tell you this, in uh, the inning which they got a run it, on a squeeze, they hold squeezes on back-to-back pitches. Now, the first one, I don't know, know if you were watching the game, but it looked like somebody missed a sign, whether mm-hmm. it was uh, Kai uh, trying to bunt, and then he looks down and noticed that the runner at third had not had not left. <laughs> and then for Inaba to, uh, to make them i mean to have them call that same play and have it on the next pitch and call a squeeze which they they got it done they got it down they got the bunt down and um actually i think takia kai uh got, he reached first on on, on the play so i thought it that was, was just it was a wild. safety squeeze genda was again uh, sosuke genda was the runner on third and he basically had a lead he, he wasn't uh, barreling towards the plate on the ball. Mm-hmm. And then, but it was just a beautiful bunt uh, about two thirds of the way up the first baseline. Nobody's charging. And uh, he was safe because the, the, the throw went to the plate. And, and it was almost like the catcher thought there was a force play. Yeah, I, you know, they're like, yeah. I think he was in shock. I think he was in shock as well. They're like, wait a second, this is a replay. Right. <laughs> that, you guys just tried to squeeze, and I know, I knew you weren't going to try that again on back-to-back pitches. So, what are you guys that, doing? So, yeah, that game was notable. Also, uh, I really enjoyed that uh, CC Mercedes of the Giants. Yes, pitching, pitched a seven inning, uh, six innings for the Dominican Republic, and he was really sharp, and he had everybody chasing pitches and looking at pitches down the middle of the plate and just completely fooled. And, and I was commenting on this with a a guy from ESPN who who does the Spanish language broadcasts. And, you know, the Dominican Republic should have been trailing in that game through six or seven innings because they're used to seeing, Mm -hmm. The Japanese hitters have all seen CC Mercedes. He's nothing new, and none of none of the Dominicans had ever seen Yoshinobu Yamamoto. 
Right. So, you know, he had an obvious advantage and obviously the quality, there's a little difference in quality, but there's no way Japan should have been trailing in that. You know, they, they should have been leading in that game early just from, you know, everything was stacked in Japan's favor and here they go into the ninth inning losing 3-1. So, but they had the bunt, you know, so, and and I think Yam, uh, Inaba called for, you know, he got his... Uh, his uh, Japan managing license renewed because he checked the sacrifice bunt box and made the, <laughs> made the uh, the old boy small school Church of Japanese baseball congregation happy. Hashtag <laughs> hi. No, uh, no, I'm not kidding because no, the next day there were stories. You know, the the god of bunts thought very highly of Takio Kai's safety squeeze. Oh, you know, there was a, somebody wrote a story about that. Hey man, the safety of squeezing. So um, yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah. They, I mean, you know, they they came back and it, it, this this uh, tournament kind of changed for them because I thought, well, you know, it's not terrible to lose the first game. It's just it's just weird, right? And uh, we expected to see uh, Masahiro Tanaka, right? Because in well, I part, expected- I think when when you when you when he signed, I believe you said that maybe one of the maybe one of the reasons that he came back to MPP was to pitch for Samurai Japan in, at the Olympics. Well, so. I expected to see him, uh, I think, I expected to see him on Saturday against uh, Mexico. But Japan's got, uh, right now, they've got three, uh, two to three games remaining, and so we're going to see him at some point. Right, right, right. Well, let's talk about game two. That was on Saturday, a 7-4 to four victory over Mexico in a game that probably should have included Matt Clark, a uh, former yeah. and Oryx Buffalo's uh, and, slugger, who was left off the Mexico team, even though, as he tweeted out, he's in the promo uh, material for the team in a commercial that's on TV. So, right. so he said the TV people got it right. What's wrong with the team? <laughs> yeah, and Brandon Brandon Laird, who was originally named on the team, isn't on the roster. So, and uh, instead, the, the you know that that designated first base slot has gone to Adrian Gonz- Adrian Gonzalez. So, I guess yeah, who's true. really slim. He looks better than he did when he was in the major leagues. <laughs> Ex Dodger warning there. Okay. Ex Ex Padre Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so Tetsuto Yamada had a three-run home run. Uh, Hayato Sakamoto hit a home run, and Masato Morishita, the second-year righty from the Carp, had his typical. I think he has early game, you know, uh, sputters. Let's call it sputters. But sputters. Uh, he helped. He, you know, I make up words. You know, that's my thing. Um, and but he held Mexico to two runs over five innings, and he got the win. And Kaima Taira walked the batter and gave up a line drive that went out at Yokohama Stadium. It probably would have gone out at a lot of other stadiums, but you know that's what happens if you throw a fastball to some of these guys who are fastball hitters. But he was fine. He had the lead to play with, and and uh, no problem there. And uh, Yoji. Kuribayashi of the carp, he tossed a perfect ninth. And I was kind of surprised that he was the guy at the back of the pen, not Mr. Zero, who just recently gave up a run. But hey, when you got two young closers like that, one, uh, Kuribayashi, the rookie, uh, Kaima Taira, the, the reigning rookie of the year in the Pacific League, you know, what, what, I guess it'll go, they're both right-handers. It'll, I don't know if Inaba has declared one or the other, the closer for sure, or is he just going to play it by ear? No idea. Yeah, I, 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 I did hear about 
the Yamamoto Yoshinori Tateyama, the pitching coach and mm-hmm. former Texas Ranger, said the plan with Yamamoto was to go to six innings or a hundred pitches, whichever came first, mm-hmm. because of the heat. You know, they're you know, which I like. You know, there there is actually a plan. Uh, you know, you may not like how it always unfolds, and it may unfold in ways that are not optimal. But there is a plan in place, and I, I get that feeling with Inaba that he is very structured in that respect, and that he has a main plan and he's got backup plans. Mm-hmm. So I, I expect Japan to do really well. I'm I'm very happy with him as the manager. Uh, you know, uh, you know, he's still like I said, he's got to do his little. Um, we are a Japanese small ball team kind of thing, but that's that's important too because uh, after the Mexico game. When Japan's Japan pretty much started playing that game like from the beginning, like mm-hmm. they were expecting to win and they were going to win, and they were not like crushed by pressure, so it was a lot of fun. But you got the feeling that okay, we're bunting, we're stealing bases, we're doing all the things we can do. Mm-hmm. In the first game against Dominican Republic, it's like how come we're not getting hits off this guy and. How come we're not doing this and we should be better than this kind of, there was that vibe to the game, but against Mexico, it was okay. Let's just, just go beat their brains in and have a good time doing it. Yep. 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 And again, I really, I mean, you look at the, you talk about plans for the pitchers. I I agree with that. And uh, you know, I was just making, bringing that fact out to, into the open that people were groaning when, when Yamamoto Mm. came out. It's, I mean, that probably was was the plan and it probably was a good one. Well, there's no there's no sound on Twitter, but you could hear the you could still feel that Twitter vibe groan when Yamamoto came out. There should be a, a groan meme, <laughs> but anyway, I, I do think there's a plan. I do think everything has been optimal for you know. But you look at I mean, there were two second year pitchers yesterday on Saturday for Samurai Japan who threw, um, and there were two rookie guys who threw, and uh, they didn't have to you know grab the phone and, and ring uh, the bullpen and get somebody ready and make changes and all that stuff. So I think it's been, it's been great. And all those guys were outstanding in my opinion. I mean, I, I think uh, Hiromi Ito of the fighters, um, a rookie, but just not a rookie, the way he's been pitching, even in the regular season, I was on him. You know, yeah, I said, this guy has losses on his record, but I, I'm not blaming him, you know, I'm blaming the fact that they don't score a lot of runs or they haven't scored a lot of runs. They hadn't played great defense behind him as well. So uh, he looked really good. He looked really yeah. good. He knows yeah. how to pitch. You know, he's not just out there throwing. So I'm, I like I'm that. sure that that helps him sleep better at night to know that we're not on his case. Good, good, good. And I tell you, this is you guys can look it up. This is a modified double elimination bracket tournament. Once you get through the pool play, it's uh, confusing and confounding, but I like the, the the format that they're using, and it allows teams to uh, not have to worry. If you lose a game, it's not the end of the world, and if you win a game, it's it's just part of the process to is, is moving forward. But there's not huge huge pressure every time to go out and, and win. But if you do win, you do get some benefits by playing fewer games as you go along. So yes. Really, really good format. I'm interested yeah. to see how it plays out. And the U.S. and Japan play. If if you're listening on Monday when the show comes out, the game, the two teams play on 
uh, on Monday. Monday, so tonight at 7 o'clock. So that should be fun. And there are other teams that have MPB players, including the U.S. And on Saturday, uh, the U.S., I was watching the U.S. play Mexico, and they beat Mexico, and Tyler Austin and Nick Martinez were uh, well, Tyler Austin was a big part of the first win for the U.S., but uh, Nick Martinez was was really sharp uh, at Yokohama Stadium against Mexico um, in a win in a win last night. So fun to watch yeah, the other NPB guys. Who else have you seen? Well, it's been fun. I you know this this Olympics is is tournament for me. In, in I know you like the format, but what I like about it best is this is the first Olympic tournament where the teams have actively sought out pros playing in J- in Japan and Asia. Mm-hmm. Mexico's starting a pitcher against the Dominican Republic was a guy who pitched in Taiwan. You know, we've got the Jap- the Dominican guys uh, pitching in Japan. We've got the four Americans on the roster with the Japanese resume, you know, Japanese baseball on their resume. It's mm-hmm. a huge different from what, difference from what we're used to seeing, and I really enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah Tyler Austin looks uh, really at home. He had a three, he hit a two run homer against Israel, and then he had an RBI and some big hits. He, he just looks like I'm going to kill it in Yokohama. <laughs> <laughs> Since I didn't have to go anywhere for this, <laughs> no planes, no trains, right. no automobiles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nick Martinez struck out nine of the nineteen batters he faced on. Saturday against uh, South Korea, which was, you know, South Korea's also sending their biggest stars. And of course, like Japan, there was some controversy over some of the selections. Chusin Chusin Shu. Is that right? Uh, uh, Get his name right. Chusin Shin Su. I never can get it right. Uh, Chu Shin Su was not selected to many people's dismay. But, uh, but the, you know, they do send a, a, a team and they are highly motivated. So I expect the final is going to be Japan and the U.S. or Japan and South Korea or South Korea and the U.S. And it's going to be fun. Yep. All right. Uh, making a two-seam transition. Now, some teams have picked up uh, some MPB teams, to be specific, since we've been talking about the Olympics. Some MPB teams have picked up a couple of players. While uh, Ernesto Mejia of the Cebu Lions, uh, word came out uh, early last week, I believe, that the Lions agreed to release the slugger, um, whom they really hardly use, uh, so he could rejoin his family. So I respect his decision. He's 35. Uh, I think he doesn't get out on the grass that much, so uh, he should. Uh, you know, why stay here thousands of miles from your family and be a mm. cheerleader, you know? <laughs> Um, Even if you get the big bucks. So congrats to him on, uh, as they say in Japan, having his graduation. And I I expect him to get some swings somewhere at some point. But being with the families during this pandemic is probably uh, something that, uh, you know, is is more at the forefront of his life than than getting a few hits and and actually not getting that much playing time. (laughs) Right. And when he left, you know, I've uh, talked about how it was unusual for teams to keep an imported player who was essentially a reserve. Mm -hmm. And I attributed that to his character and his role. And, and as you mentioned with uh, Jose Fernandez, you know, that, that aspect of us being some there, somebody there is important to the team's culture and propelling it forward off the field. 
or in the mm. clubhouse. Right. And I, I think uh, that uh, Ernesto Mejia checked all those boxes, which explains his longevity, uh, you know, in a reserve role. And when he left, the the comments we got from the Lions were really, you know, they weren't the typical, well, you know, he helped the team and he always wanted to win kind of uh, automatic, you know, push, push, boilerplate, the, boilerplate yeah, push the boilerplate, ha- you know, s- s- sorry to see you go kind of response and, and actually get out and think about what you want to say because it was really heartfelt. Mm-hmm. So they're going to miss him. I think they, they will miss him. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, proud of, of what he accomplished and he's, he's just a wonderful, a wonderful guy and wish his, uh, he and his wife, uh, Maite and their son, the best of luck. Yeah, and listen, uh, a number of foreign players I've heard have gone back to the States during this long all-star slash Olympic break um, where they had an op- in which they had an opportunity to do so. But someone mm. told me that don't be don't t- told me don't be surprised if a few of the guys who are back with their families decide, you know what? <laughs> it's probably better to be over here than be over there. So um, mm. keep, we'll keep an eye out for that. But there have been some new additions in MPD, MPB as well. So let's start with Oryx, um, which is kind of when I saw these moves, I thought, this is kind of like the major league teams buying at the trade trade deadline by adding some help. And obviously we didn't think that no one thought we always talk about how talented the Buffaloes are, but how it doesn't um, it's, we don't see that manifested in the, in the form of wins and losses. And so this team is competing this year. So recently signed 29 year old right-hander Glenn Sparkman uh, spent, I guess, parts of the past four seasons in the big leagues, but, uh, has been with the Blue Jays and the Royals. And then uh, also added first baseman slash outfielder Rangel Ravelo. Uh, previously had been on a minor league contract with the Dodgers and was uh, leading the Pacific Coast League, if that's still the name of it. I haven't paid attention in decades. Uh, with a, In OPS and batting. And so uh, they're looking to add some pop and some some pitching. So that's, that's a good move by the Buffaloes if they can get those guys acclimated and uh, maybe get them here, get them into some of these practice games that are going on right now so they can use that as sort of a spring training kind of um, springboard into the into the regular season where the games are going to really be played at a high level in the second half for teams that are fighting for either playoffs position or to get into the playoffs. You get the feeling that Oryx's uh, hitter profile for import players is first baseman slash corner outfielder. <laughs> and for so you know adam jones comes here and they probably said how much first base have you played <laughs> <laughs> he, he has played first base now <laughs> he, he got that last year and uh steven Mo- St- uh, moya and, and also uh, stefan romero so they've got those four guys and I, I don't you know you just wonder what's the thinking there other than you know, this is these are the guys we get. Glenn Sparkman is an interesting case because he's a starting pitcher, mm-hmm. and Oryx's uh, Achilles' heel right now is its bullpen. So yeah, yeah. my guess is that if uh, Glenn Sparky Sparkman uh, works out as a starting pitcher, that one of that flotilla, probably of lefties, 
<laughs> they've got, you know, uh, they've got three or four lefty starting pitchers who all have pretty good stuff, but have trouble being consistent, uh, might end up in the bullpen. Mm. So maybe there's a plan. Uh, maybe that that's a plan. And I, and also Brandon Dixon, who is uh, with the, the team USA in the Olympics, he was, uh, he stayed in the U S this year and he's with the Cardinals. He's back where he started with the Cardinals in the minor leagues. And he was ostensibly going to go back to being a starting pitcher. So I'm guessing maybe that actually is the plan that one of those uh, young arms in their starting rotation is going to be shipped into the bullpen. Yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know that we're going to know because they might just do trial and error situations. So uh, something to keep an eye on. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, you said there was another player who signed with SoftBank. Yeah, SoftBank got, I think, a 32-year-old Cuban because they probably didn't have enough 30-plus Cubans uh, outfielders on their team. (laughs) So they got to... Need some more 30-something Cubans. Um, 30-something Cubans, please, come to the front desk. That's exactly (laughs) right. They put out a casting call, and they found found one playing in the BC Challenge League, I think, in... uh, in Mita, in uh, Ibaraki Prefecture, uh, da- Dariel Alvarez, late of the uh, the Baltimore Orioles, and he's been playing in the practice games for them. And yeah, wish him well. Obviously, he's used to seeing Japanese pitching. We haven't had a lot of good luck coming out of the uh, independent leagues for guys, uh, but uh, you know. Who knows? Good luck and uh, good hunting. Yeah. Well, it's not early enough in the morning that we can't have basketball bouncing around outside. So uh, I'm going to close the window. All right. Well, good luck on your game, guys. So uh, I know you wanted to talk about uh, Rock and Roki Sasaki, who pitched right. the other day. So uh, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. Roki Sasaki, as, as John alluded to, we're having these uh, the NBB teams are playing practice games and the before the Olympic baseball tournament started, that was kind of the thing for about two days. And uh, Roki Sasaki and Shintaro Fujinami. What a, you know, two guys. I know it's like, it's like two, it was the, that game was like the, the, it was, I think I wrote in my blog, it was like a top draft pick tryout game. <laughs> because we had uh, home runs by two former Tigers uh, first round draft choices. We had an RBI single by a former for Tiger first round top draft pick, uh, Takashi Toritani. And we had Roki Sasaki and Shintaro Fujinami top draft picks uh, starting the game. A uh, home run by Teruaki. The other uh, home run by the former Tiger first round draft choice was a guy who was drafted, I think, in 2007. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> Takahama for Lotte. So he had a home run at Koshin, which was kind of fun. But the the uh, we're here to talk about Roki Sasaki, and he's you know he's making progress slowly but surely. His he's throwing his fastball harder and harder. He's consistently above uh, 154, which is what 96 miles an hour, 95 miles an hour, mm-hmm. and. The thing is, still, it's often straight, uh, without without much hop to it, and guys who are uh, cheating on it a little bit don't have any trouble drilling it. Right. 
So that's, but on the other hand, sometimes he'll throw it and it's, it's got that little, uh, you know, it's got that little jump in it, you know, and he gets a spin just right and nobody can touch it. So I, you know, I see the promise there, but it's still, he's still a work in progress, but it was fun. It was nice to see him. Yeah. Still a teenager. And I, like I said, I, I think that they want him to be able to pitch and uh, guys develop at different uh, different rates, so he's not going to be the Masahiro Tanaka type. But I still would like to see him, um, you know, air this thing out. And sure, if they're they're sitting on it and they can hit it, more power to him. But um, I, and I know he has to mix in more more than just fastball. So he, yeah, work in progress. I, I hope we see more of it and more of it on the top team. And next year that he just kind of settles in and and really takes over as a, as a pitcher. And um, like I said, I had picked the, the Marines to do well this season anyway, so I'm looking forward. But I hope he, I'm looking forward to their success in the second half. But I think he, he needs to do some – he has to make some contributions, I think, on that first team with the pitching because they don't have a couple of the pitchers I, I expected them to have. So I think they're going to need the other, to step up. The other takeaway I have from the really brief takeaway because I didn't see much, but I heard uh, – the manager Kimiyasu Kudo talking about some of his players and his practice games for the Hawks. And uh, two of the guys was one of the guys was Richard Sunagawa, who really tattooed the ball and hit it pretty hard. Uh, Masahiro Nakatani, who just arrived with the t- from the Tigers in a trade, has been a mashing, and also Carter Stewart Jr. Oh, yes, uh, has pitched uh, has been looking a little sharper, a little better. His overall numbers in the minors are very, very respectable now. And so I expect to see him uh, much more in the coming weeks. Good to hear. Good to hear. Maybe we can get him on the show as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's go to fielding questions. So this question came to me a long time ago, and it has really been on, I wouldn't even say the back burner. It has been uh, in the line to get onto the burner, but it is here now. <laughs> so this it's, is from. It's completely actually. It was uh, I had it thawing on <laughs> on the kitchen on our dining room table because it was uh, frozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. America, we are the freezer society, right? Take stuff out of the freezer, let it thaw yeah. naturally, and cook it for dinner. So mm-hmm. TB in Arizona via Twitter said, "NPV history question: When was the dangerous pitch rule enacted?" Was there a specific instance that led to it? Hope all is well. Stay safe. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is sort of like saying, uh, at what point did Homo sapiens stop being an ape and be Donald Trump? Whoa. <laughs> you know, where it's an evol- it's a it's an evolutionary process. Okay. Basically, there's a couple of steps to it. I'll go through them really quickly. Started out in 1982. When MPB said, we're going to give the umpires the power to throw out guys, uh, throw out pitchers who look like they are throwing dangerous pitches. Yeah, okay. beanball. Yeah, the yeah. beanball guys you yeah. get thrown out. And yeah. to, to interject really quickly before you finish, I know you've told this story on the show. I just didn't remember what episode, what year. But I know you've talked about this on, on the show before. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, so that was 1982. 1994, there was a beanball war. Uh, actually, uh, 1993, Shigeo Nagashima comes back to manage the Yomiuri Giants. 
and he and Katsuya Nomura basically Katsuya Nomura is this like his ultimate rival from the old days and uh, with the Yakult Swallows and these teams have a number of incidents in 1993 in 1994 it starts all over again in May 11th, uh, Ryuji Nishimura, the Swallows, hit Dan Gladden of the Giants, of, of the San Francisco, uh, <laughs> of the Yomiuri Giants, and not the San Francisco Giants where he started his career, and sparked a brawl at Jingu Stadium. And uh, so after that game, the Central League decided that it would hitting a batter in the head would require, would mandate an automatic ejection. And the first player to be ejected was a Kuo Yuan Chi of the Chunichi Dragons, better known as Genji Kaku. Mm-hmm. 1995, the CL said, hold on, say, wait, wait a second. What if it's like a big, if it's an EFIS, if you Darvish loses control of an EFIS and the guy ducks and squirms and it hits him on the top of the helmet and, and the and the ball breaks. Uh, what what do we do? And they said, okay, well then that's not counted. So they made that modification. Okay, now in 1999, the Pacific League still allowing the umpires to choose until this game, when Daisuke Matsuzaka uh, was not ejected for breaking Koji Akiyama's cheekbone. Because he's dice game Matsuzaka, they're not going to throw him out of the game. So basically, uh, some guys were getting thrown out for <laughs> you know for throwing hitting a guy with a changeup, you know the sixty mile an hour changeup, and then dice game Matsuzaka uh, dusted off his uh, the former Lions star and Hawk star Koji Akiyama and broke his cheekbone. And they said, well, there's well, nuance. There's nuance to breaking a cheekbone, you know. Indeed, yeah. So, okay, <laughs> be more careful. You know, Matsuzaka had all those stories about how he got special dispensation. The, the guy they gave a Sawamura award to um, when he wasn't worthy because they wanted to encourage him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was 2001. So that's you know, they, he was the big star. They had to protect him. So anyway, so that happened. After that happened from 2002, the, the Pacific League said, this rule is too important to let the umpires decide. Mm. <laughs> so since 2002, it's been an automatic ejection in both leagues. All right. Awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't know. So when I came to Japan and started watching baseball games, uh, I'm like, well, what are they doing you know, I couldn't speak Japanese. Why is this guy coming out? He didn't mean to hit him. <laughs> so when I learned about that rule, I thought, well, you know, that's a good way to police the game, um, to, to to take all that, quote unquote, as we mentioned, as we jokingly, sarcasm. It's, it's, you know, it's how the world turns. Um, yeah. Nuance, to get that nuance and get the subjectivity my out fa- of the my, game. My favorite one was when Gerald Clark of the Yakult Swallows tried to argue that... Um, you know, he. I think he he actually wanted to charge the mound when this big, high looping curve tapped him on the shoulder. <laughs> and, Excuse me, sir. Would you like to have first base? <laughs> and he's like going, "You're," and and he he told the reporters, "You're messing with my livelihood." And, <laughs> and I all I could think of was, "Why you can't hit curveballs?" <laughs> Hashtag high. <laughs> 
You can't hit curveballs, but they can hit you. Whoa, you're messing with my life. <laughs> Gently tapped him on the shoulder. You got to love it. You got to love it. So uh, apologies, that question came months ago, and it wasn't that I forgot it, but I didn't always remember it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got to stop using that excuse now. <laughs> well, you know, one of my favorite songs is called Forget to Remember, but uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a breakup song, essentially, so <laughs> it's different. Anyway, we appreciate the question, TB. Please send us another one. Anyone else that has a question, hit us up on Twitter at JBW Podcast with the hashtag High Heat. You can send questions, including MP3 voice messages, via email to yakyujohn at gmail.com or go to the Facebook page and leave us a message there. And look, uh, questions are great. Comments are better. Um, let us know what you'd like to like us to talk about, what you'd like to hear, how we can improve the show. Anything at all. doesn't always have to be a question, but um, make sure you put that high heat on it, all right? Um, I'm think we will talk to you next week. We Like I yep. said, we had this unscheduled break last week, and that was simply because Jim, neither Jim nor I could find time with all this Olympic what fanfare going on here. So uh, I don't think we'll miss next week. It's possible, though. <laughs> so we will keep that in mind. But I do have an interview lined up, so we should be able to get that done. Uh, hopefully we can have the, the interview and get the uh, show out before – Baseball resumes and baseball is scheduled to be back on August 13th, if my memory serves me correctly. So hopefully we can have a show before that and uh, then see the guys back out on the field, except for those Lions, ugly, ugly Lions uniforms. Uh, oh, man. Those things are going to be buried soon. They're hanging them at some of the stations now along the line. I mean, you know, I live on that line. So I, I just, no, hey, please stop. Guy. Stop. My eyes hurt. There's blood coming out of my eyes. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. Uh, yeah, that pretty much crime against humanity, that one. <laughs> it is. So hopefully we will talk to you next week. If we don't, we'll talk to you in two weeks. We'll talk to you next time. Enjoy your baseball. See you at the ballpark. Uh, not in the Olympics, of course, but otherwise. Follow the hosts on Twitter at JBW Podcast and at JBallAllen. And feel free to submit your questions by email or tweet with hashtag HighHeat. Thank you for listening to Japan Baseball Weekly.